knows better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. James chapter 1 is where we're going to be teaching from. So, so James chapter 1. And uh, as you go in there, I'm going to go ahead and I'll begin us with a word of prayer. Father God, we, we come before you and we thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace, Lord, and the opportunity, Lord, just to, just to be able to go through your word, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that uh, Lord, you've given it to us. And um, Lord, it's here for our teaching, for our instruction, and for edification, Lord. So right now, Lord, as we uh, go into your word, Lord, I just pray that you would just prepare our hearts, Lord, each and every one of us, Lord. And, and uh, Lord, as you meet us where we are, Lord, just teach us. Teach us all something today. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So today, James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18, um, we're going to be dealing with the issue of temptation. And so some of you may have heard the story, but there was this gypsy. You know, he was traveling through the desert, and uh, he was bedding down through the night, and uh, I guess somebody's heard it. And so um, just as he went to, uh, uh, you know, he was at camp, and uh he was about to lay down to go to sleep, and his camel stuck his head in his tent. And he said, hey, can I just, you know, because it's, it's freezing outside, can, you know, it's cold desert nights, can I just put my feet in for a minute? And uh, the, he said, sure, okay, he made a concession, go ahead, put your feet in. Then as he was about to fall back asleep again, the camel put his head back in and said, hey, um, I, just, uh, he, I just wanted to go ahead and, uh, you know, keep myself warm again, so if I could just keep my head in here uh throughout the night just to stay warm. He said, sure, go ahead. I'll make another concession. And then uh, it wasn't too long after that that he woke up and he found the whole camel inside of his tent. And he uh, he said to his camel, he said, hey, what are you doing in here? He goes, we can't. There's not enough room in here for both of us. And the camel said, well, maybe you ought to go sleep outside. And so, <laughs> so the point being is that um, when we make small concessions in our lives and we... we um, we allow sin in little bits and pieces in our lives. It's it can lead to some great tragedies in, in our lives, and, and that's very true for uh, a lot of us. I think we all may be able to, uh, you know, share an experience, uh, not out loud, not here, but uh, the uh, and that's what happens um, when we give way to temptation. Um, there's a, another brief story that I wanted to go over. Um, there was a couple; they had just bought their forever home. And one day they went shopping and the guy went to the men's section. They had determined, hey, we're going to, you know, we're on a budget. And so uh, because money was tight, so um, they went off. And then when they came back together, the wife came with a $500 receipt for a dress she bought. And the husband was like, I can't believe, how could you do this? You know we're on a budget. And she said, well, I was just standing out there and I saw the dress and Satan came and he told me how, how, um, how fabulous it how fabulous it looked on me. And then, uh, you know, I was trying it on and, um, and he was like, I can't believe you did that. 
And then he said, you know what I would do in that situation? Just what Jesus did in the garden. He said, get behind me, Satan. She says, wait, I did that. And then he said, it looks fabulous from back here, too. (laughs) So she had the dress. Um, So, you know, the the dictionary defines temptation as the act of enticement uh, to do wrong by the promise of pleasure or gain. And and you know it. And so um, there's a lot that... uh, you know, that, that we're tempted by in our lives every day. And so in one way or another, um, and it comes in many, many ways. Um, it's to, to lie, to cheat, to gossip, to covet, hold grudges. And the list goes on and on um, in, in many forms, the many forms of temptation. So and it doesn't matter who you are. We'll all face it. So uh, there's a saying that goes opportunity, talk, opportunity knocks at our door, but once. But temptation bangs at our door every day. And the truth is, none of us are immune to it. So temptation is constantly calling us. So we're going to go ahead and uh, we're going to go through uh, James 13, 1 through 18. And we're going to start. Um, and the first point is the cost. And so um, James chapter 1, verse 13, uh, we're just going to take them as they come. It says, let no one say, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. <clears throat> uh, you know, here, uh, a lot of times we look at, you know, people when they sin um, and they fall. Um, a lot of people, nobody really wants to take blame for our own actions. And so, um, you know, this week, this past couple of days, I've had the opportunity to watch my grandkids. And, you know, when you... I look at them, they're just the most beautiful, awesome little examples of unrepentant sinners that you, you can have because they just go out there and they're playing fine for a second and then they're fighting. Um, no, I hate him. And he goes, no, that's mine. And, you know, it's so just going back and forth, whether it's glue, uh, you know, my shoes, whatever it is, they're fighting over it. And um, at the end of, the, of their little argument, neither one of them wants to, um, you know, take a, take ownership for what they did. So, and they're tiny, so I'm going to continue to instruct them. But, uh, so nobody really ever wants to take a responsibility for their own actions. And so, um, this is what, uh, what we as men do. And, uh, it's what we started from infancy, little children, all the way up to even now in our lives. And so, um, the worst part is that we actually at times begin to, um, blame God for the things that we've done. So we blame him for, putting things in our lives and saying, oh, God, if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have sinned. So um, if you would, real quick, turn to Genesis chapter 3. And uh, we're going to see here where man has been blaming from the very beginning, since the fall, actually. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Genesis 3, verse 8 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God uh, called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And God didn't ask Adam uh, where he was because he didn't know where he physically was. But he asked him, really in a sense, so that Adam could search himself and see where he was spiritually. And you look at Adam's response in verse 10. He says, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Verse 11, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat? And what Adam should have said here was, yes, I ate from the tree, 
but that's not what he said. Uh, verse 12, the man said, the woman whom you gave uh, to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. So it's Eve's fault. And I'm going to move on because I'm going to get in trouble if I, if I agree with him. <laughs> so, um, but Adam actually blaming, uh, was here was blaming God because he said, it's the woman that you gave me. And, uh, so right now, Adam's probably looking right now, say, listen, all I remember is I went to sleep and I woke up and I'm married and I got this woman. And, you know, what, what happened? So God, it's really, it's your fault. And uh, had you never given me that woman, I wouldn't have sinned. I wouldn't have fallen into sin. So Adam, he transferred the blame to her. So then down to verse 13, it said, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, she's the serpent deceived me and I ate. So here again, Eve also transfers the blame. She says, it wasn't my fault. She says, it was the serpent's fault. And well, who made the serpent? God did. So when it's all said and done, both of them are saying, God, it's your fault. We didn't do it. You can go back to James 1 now. But um, this is what James is talking about here. He's talking about the nature to blame others or indirectly, uh, whether we indirectly or directly blame God for our sin. And some people uh, do so by uh, virtue of saying, hey, I'm a, I'm a victim of my circumstance. Saying, Lord, if you wouldn't have allowed me to, to grow up in this home or to be abused, then I wouldn't have abused others. Or um, had I not been born into um, a certain a demographic or a neighborhood or social economical group, then I wouldn't have been stolen, you know, stealing things, you know, and the scenarios go on and on and on. So you can fill the blanks. You know, God, this, if this wouldn't happen, then this wouldn't have happened. And so we, uh, we always tend to blame God for uh, ungodly actions and circumstances. And we also want to blame God for our weaknesses. So, um, you know, the, the truth is when we end up blaming others around us, we blame friends, relatives, um, the, uh, in our circumstances, we are, we're blaming God. So, um, and we can be guilty of indirectly blaming God by blaming the circumstances, or there are those who just directly accuse God for everything bad that happens in their life. And, you know, some people say, God, I prayed that you would, uh, you know, re, you know, remove that cancer. And, you know, how can a, a God of love allow cancer and allow people to go through such tragedies? But, you know, people, again, they'll pray for healing and it doesn't come through because it's not God's will, but, you know, they're blaming God. So at the end of the day, anytime we blame God, those are actually blasphemous statements. Um, and they demonstrate that a person really does not know God. So James puts it out there, verse 13, still, let no one say when he is tempted. So let no one excuse himself, let no one reason with himself or take himself off the hook when he's tempted by saying, God, you're responsible or by saying, I am tempted by God. So continue on in verse 13, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So the the original language actually literally says that God has no capacity for evil, that he has no weakness for evil. God is perfect and God is holy. All evil repulses him and all evil and temptation have no place in him, in his character, nor in his nature. Habit, uh, Habakkuk 1.13 says his eyes are too pure to look on evil and he cannot tolerate wrong. 
And so over and over, the Bible speaks of God's holiness. In Isaiah 6.3, it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So the word holy is uh, used over 600 times in the Bible, speaking of God's uh, essence and his, his nature and his purity. <clears throat> so the very nature of God and evil are on opposite ends of the spectrum when we look at uh, sin. So James makes it very clear that when temptations come into our life, they are not from God. So when sin tempts us to practice evil, it is not God who has brought it to us. So then we got to look at who is to blame. So we can go down to verse 14. It says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So here, God does not tempt man, but each one is tempted by his own desires. And notice that everyone experiences temptation, each one. And the problem is, is that people want to blame God or their circumstances or the devil, when in reality is we are drawn away by our own desires. So as we go on down to the next verses, James is going to share um, uh, how temptation is actually a process. And so we're going to look at this. And so when we like to think uh, uh, often uh, sin as a, as a one-time act, um, but actually it's a process. And so, um, and that's how God sees it. So, so we're told here that each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. And desire means to lust and to have a strong longing for something. And so, you know, when we look at desires, desires in and of themselves are not necessarily wrong because God's given us natural desires. He's given us, um, uh, you know, the the desire for, for, for many different things, but it's, it's only when we pervert them that, um, and, and they get twisted that, uh, they become lust. So uh, one example is God's given us the desire to eat. So, um, it's just when people pervert that, then you become gluttons and God's, uh, given us a, a desire to, um, provide for ourselves and to, you know, again, uh, take care of our families. But, when you pervert that, it turns into greed and uh, covetousness and, and keeping up with the Joneses. And so um, God has also given us a desire for intimacy. Uh, and, you know, within the, the, the union of a marriage, a man and a woman, and, and man perverts that into all types of sin. So, again, it's not the desire that is bad, but it's the sinful desire that is bad. And so what James is calling here, our own desire and our own lust. And the point is that it is not God, nor the devil, nor the demons that cause us to sin. It's our own desires. It's our own uh, perverted lust. The devil and the demons all in the world uh, have all the worldly influences. Um, uh, everything was surrounding Jesus. And, uh, but he never gave in to any of it. And why? It's because Jesus had no sinful lust. So, there was no pool to go after the things of the world because he was sinless. And so the problem is not that Satan, uh, you know, that, that Satan, he can end up throwing everything at us uh, in this world, but you can still have victory because Jesus is our example of that. And so the problem isn't Satan. It's actually our own sinful desires. So, uh, you know, truthfully, Satan doesn't really need our help. And so, um, while he does, he is out there and he is tempting us, um, it, most of it falls on us. 
So even if we died to ourselves, we wouldn't, um, we wouldn't fall. Um, even if we ended up, you know, dying to our sins and we, we didn't fall, um, Paul tells us that, uh, the way to do that, to die to yourself, um, and, and not fall into sin is in 1 Corinthians 15, 31. I die daily. We, again, as he, as he said, I die daily. We can have the victory there. So, um, because you cannot tempt a dead man, um, you cannot tempt, uh, entice a, cor- a corpse to sin because he's dead. So, um, again, um, if once you die to yourself, then you're dead and then sin can no longer come in and, and, uh, and tempt you. So, if we learn to conquer our temptations um, at the level of our desires, then we can have the victory. So right there, that's the bar. At your desire, once that desire, you've got to, again, die to yourself to remove that desire, and you can have the victory. So our desires need to end up being our servants and not our masters. Um, but unfortunately, uh, what happens is we toy around with sin, and in our thoughts and in our desires. And then Satan comes along. And he starts telling us that those are great and that we should go ahead and partake in those. And so in order to deal, in order to be successful with dealing with temptation, we've got to deal with it on the level of a desire. And if not, then the process of sin uh, will take us. So it, when it will take us to where verse 14 picks up. It says, we are drawn away and enticed. And the word enticed here is a fisherman's term, which means you're baiting a hook. So, and there's a, a deception, the idea that being uh, that you're being lured away into a trap. So, in the case of a baited hook, it means that you know you want to suspend a you know a beautiful meal. It's like the the horse and the carrot. You know, um, he's constantly there working, trying to get it. But here in the in the fisherman's uh, sense, it's it's a it's a trap. It's not a, um, the, the, uh, it's not like a, you know, like something that you're trying to get, you never get. Once you get it, it, you've, you've partaken and you're trapped and you're sucked into it. So, um, you know, uh, it has to be the, 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 the receiver, the person being deceived has to be sucked into the fact that, hey, this is something that I want and they, they will be deceived. So, um, and that's what happens in uh, temptation. When we're not walking in the Spirit, we're allowing our desires to be in control, and Satan can then dangle some sin right in front of us, and we fall for it hard. And a quick um, side note here, this same word, enticed, is translated in 2 Peter 2.14 as to seduce. So again, the temptation is seductive and is calling us. So um, we could say that we are seduced by our own lusts and desires. So Satan and the things of this world may bait us, but we have to make a decision whether we're going to give in or not. Again, God doesn't bait the hook. He doesn't set the trap. Neither um, will he push us to sin. But when we sin, uh, but we sin when we of our own volition choose to go after the bait. And uh, again, we have another uh, example here in the Old Testament. We think about Lot, because Lot, he lusted for the things of this world. And he desired the good things in life. And um, you look at him, what did Satan dangle in front of him? Um, in Genesis 13, 20, uh, it says that, uh, that when Abraham came near the promised land, 
said, Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld the plain of Jordan, and it was well watered everywhere. So Lot said to Abraham, that's where I want to go. It looks good to the eyes and just as the, very similar, just as the tree did to Eve. So he made his home near Sodom and Gomorrah and the, he, he lived there um, right next to the city. And it, it was essentially the, just about any city in the United, we used to say it used to be the Las Vegas of the day and now it's pretty much any city in the U.S. Um, but, or any large city rather. But, um, he took the bait and his, his family was destroyed in the end because his wife became a pillar of salt and then he lost his purity and integrity with his daughters and his descendants became the Moabites. And so um, taking the bait took yeah, or resulted in, yeah, terribly for him. So again, we have examples in, in the Bible of where, again, looking up with the lust of our eyes and the results are terrible. So... Uh, here, James is still, he's painting a clear picture of what temptation, uh, of temptation rather, and its promises and how it promises so much and delivers so little and how um, temptation will come out with a bait and it will be dangled, but we don't have to entertain it, nor do we have to bite at it. So moving on to verse 15, it says, when a desire has conceived and, uh, you know, the, uh, there's another uh, joke that uh, some of you may have heard. There was a businessman who decided that it was time to lose weight. That could be me. But, uh, and he took, you know, the diet seriously and he lost some weight. And so he took a different route to work every day to try to avoid things that tempted him. So one day, he, by accident, he went by his favorite bakery. And um, so uh, he went by there um, and his, uh, he was thinking to himself, he says, like, Lord, you know, he drove by, he saw these, all these fresh baked goods in the window. And he said, Lord, if you want me to have them, then give me a parking spot right there in the front. And so he's just praying. And then finally a spot opened up. He says, he went to work. He says, yeah, a spot opened up. And about the eighth time around the block, that spot opened up. And so and I was able to get, you know, all these donuts. But, uh, the point is, is that, um, the, uh, the desire is, so the desire, he, he desired those. So when the desire has conceived, so this guy desired those donuts. And so um, when the desire is conceived, it speaks to the fact that sin has been thought of in the mind and sin has been dangled. And I've made a conscious decision that this is what I want to do. So, you know, there was a, a another time when I was a, a little kid, um, we, uh, me and some friends, actually, um, it was after school. I was, I was in fifth grade. We went, and uh, this one kid, he was a really bad kid, Randy. And so he, uh, I hung out with him. No, <laughs> no, I don't have this friend called Randy. It's, it's, not, it's not me. I did have a friend named Randy. And uh, it well, actually wasn't my friend, um, especially after that, because I don't remember anything else about him. But the, the fact of the matter is, okay, he said, hey, come on, let's go, because it was during school, and we wanted some school supplies. We didn't have any. Not that I wanted school supplies. We just wanted to take something, okay, ultimately, because we didn't want to do schoolwork anyway. So, so erasers and pencils weren't going to help us. And so we went into the school, and we went through all the desks, and we took stuff. And then the very next day, Randy, he was out there talking, hey, yeah, we, you know, we did all this, told his friends. Well, Tella Urbina, 
the lady about this tall with a bun with a paddle as big as, you know, a tree. Um, she had Randy in there. She was wailing away on him. And Randy was naming all of us guys that were with him, all of us kids. <laughs> and we got in there. We were so scared. And all, every, we didn't even collude or anything like that prior to, but we got in there and we saw Randy just bent over her desk and he was getting it. And we, it was Randy. <laughs> every one of us, both of us anyway. We were, it was Randy. And uh, we were crying and boohoo and trying to get out of it. But, um, you know, the, the point here is that that desire that's for things, for stuff, started and uh, the day before. And then we acted on it. And we thought we were so cool and didn't even want the stuff. But the result ended up that um, that, that Randy got tore up. And, <laughs> and I was shown grace because that... I was spared the rod, that, uh, but I lied through my teeth, and you know, I just—it was terrible. Uh, and and it's so funny because th- that I say it's so funny, but that's the last thing I remember, Randy. <laughs> that's it, because I was I was going the other way. I was like, I'm not doing that you know, with him anymore, and I don't want to be over that desk. So, um, but sin starts with a desire, and then we're deceived. And then there's a point in our mind when we make that decision saying that this is what I'm going to do. So in verse 15, when desire is going back to the second part of verse 15, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And so when when sin is conceived in our heart, we make a decision to go through with it. And this right here is the act of disobedience. Warren Wiersbe writes, desire conceives a method for taking the bait. The will provokes the acts, and the result is sin. Whether we feel like it or not, we are hooked and trapped. A baby is born, and just wait until it matures. And so it is with temptation that was, that is what is willfully decided in our hearts gives birth to sin. It starts in the emotion, it moves to the mind, it goes to the will, and gives birth to our behaviors. So temptation moves from desire to deception onto our decision and then into disobedience. And then it culminates in the last part of verse 15. It says, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So temptation is a killer. Now, um, death ultimately speaks of separation from God. And so if a person who never has give, has never given their life uh, from God to God, that means that they will be eternally separated from God. But for the believer who who sins, their spiritual separation, there is a spiritual separation there until they repent. God is here and we've moved away. And until we come back and clear our account with God, then we can't have fellowship with him. So there is that separation. And so um, either way you look at it, Sin brings forth death or separation from God. So as the saying goes, is uh, my old pastor used to give this, sow a thought, <clears throat> reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a destiny. And so where should we attack our temptation? So at, at what level that does temptation need to be dealt at? It's at the desire level. So... A person who's able to get a hold of their desires is able to set their mind on God and put an end to their desires. 
and is going to be the person who has victory in their temptation. This is the person who will have victory. So, victorious Christian, uh, victorious Christian living is an act of the will. It's taking a stand saying, <clears throat> I'm not going to walk by my desires or my feelings, but by faith in God and in his word. So when God says something is wrong, I must die to my desire and live according to the truth, because that's where the victory is. Now moving on to verse 16. Um, it says, do not be deceived, my brethren. Look at the, uh, so I just want you to, again, look at the process and be on your guard. So um, again, do not be deceived, my brethren. Don't think that for a moment you can't fall because you can. And so um, let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11, because we want to look at the fall of David here real quick. 2 Samuel chapter 11. And again, this is in reference to verse 16. It says, do not be deceived, my brother, my beloved brother. So 2 Samuel chapter 11, as we look at the fall of David, the beginning of verse 1, it happened in the spring of the, of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. And David remained at Jerusalem. So we have here the fertile soil of uh, temptation, which is idleness. David should have been at war with his armies, um, but instead he decided to stay home. Verse 2, Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Now, here David couldn't do anything about seeing her, but uh, because he didn't expect to see her. But it's what he chose to do after that, after he initially saw her. He gave a second look, and that gave birth to the desire. And he allowed himself to be tempted. So here David should have actually did what Joseph did, which is to run, run away from that. And so it's, it's, um, it's been said that if you don't run, you will fall. It's only a matter of time. So at this point, David could have walked away from the situation. But um, he was, uh, again, going back to, uh, stay where we are, but it just refers back to verse 15 where it says he was drawn away. He was drawn away from, uh, by his desires by inquiring about her because you look at verse 3. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And, and someone said, uh, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of uh, Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? <clears throat> So right away he was warned, this is another man's wife, another opportunity for him to turn and run away. <clears throat> However, his desire gave way to deception. And in verse 4, he makes the decision. So again, this is the process. His desire gave way to the deception that he had, and then he makes his decision. Verse 4, then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and then here is the disobedience, the ultimate disobedience. He lay with her for she was cleansed from her impurity and she returned to her house. And surely David felt bad for what he did here, but um, I think the, the thought in his mind was that it was over and there was nothing he could do about it, so he was just going to forget it. But if you look in verse 5, it says, And the woman conceived, so she sent David, sent uh, and told David and said, I am with child. So apparently several months had passed, and um, 
she um, obviously was pregnant. So um, she sent to David and said, what are we going to do? And so um, here, David, even at this point, could have come clean, repented, but he didn't. Instead, he covered it up by having her husband killed. And so you have an adultery, you have a murder, and all of it began with a desire on the rooftop. And that's the power of temptation. So um, if you allow it, uh, your temptation or your disobedience in the, uh, the process to take place, um, that it's going to end up uh, birthing sin in our lives. So uh, you can go back to James 1 from Samuel. And we're going to look at the second part, which is a reflection. <clears throat> and you know that only God does not, that you know not only does God <clears throat> not tempt us to sin, but on the flip side, he seeks to bless us. And one of Satan's greatest tricks is to deceive people into thinking that God doesn't love them and that he really doesn't care. And that's a huge lie. So here, James's point is to show us there's three truths here and uh and and that uh about God's goodness and first uh verse 17 said God only gives good gifts um and okay verse 17 every good gift and every perfect gift is from above so everything good in this life um in in this world comes from God and if it doesn't come from God it's not good <laughs> and so um, some might say that if uh, how can a disastrous situation in my life or circumstances um, they, they must if they're from the Lord, then how how is that? You know, how is how is, you know, these these things that, that come in my life um, bad? How is that from God? You know, if, especially as a believer. Well, truthfully, God allows these gifts in our lives and it, sometimes they don't make sense, but a lot of times they're designed to make us stronger. Because you look at Paul, Paul was given a strange gift. He was given a thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12. At first, he didn't want it. However, after he understood God's plan for his life, he welcomed that thorn in the flesh. Again, this thing, this, this injury, this trauma in his life. And yet he's like, yeah, initially I didn't want it. But now it's like, you know what? I see what God's doing through my life by using this. So every gift given by God to his children, though it may not make sense to us, is both perfect and good. So God only gives good gifts. Number two, God's goodness never changes. James says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. In the second part of verse 17, and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And the term Father of lights here is a, re a reference to the fact that God is our creator. He's the creator of the sun, the moon, and all the, the heavens, and everything that glows there. So, uh, the, uh, in, in here, um, God is our creator. He has no variation or shadow of turning. You see the the uh, the sun and the the moon and all the stars have different uh, uh, degrees of brilliance, and with God there is no variation. He doesn't change, and he has no shadow of turning. His love and grace will never waver towards us. So God is always good and gracious, and He is the wellspring of blessing uh, for those uh, the wellspring of blessing that that never uh, diminishes. Rather, 
And so consider the goodness of God. There is no way that God tempts us. He only gives good gifts and his goodness never changes. And ultimately, the third uh, reason he gives us, uh, he gives us the gift of life. In verse 18, of his own he uh, of his own will, he brought forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so what James is saying here is that God has given us the greatest gift of all. He's given us his son who gives us eternal life. And so why would he want to tempt us? Um, he has given us the greatest gift of all. So um, he wouldn't want to tempt us and lead us into sin and death when he's given us life? And the answer is, is God doesn't tempt us. He gives us new life. So this term brought forth is the same term uh, used uh, in verse 15 when sin brings forth death. So in temptation, <clears throat> Satan wants to produce death in us. However, God wants to produce life in us. Jesus said in John 10, 10, a thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they have it more abundantly. Through Christ, we can have abundant life. We can have new life. And how does that come? He brought forth the word of truth in verse 18. So Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When a person places their faith in Jesus Christ as proclaimed in the word of God, they are born again. 1 Peter 1.23, born again through the word of God. So why did Jesus give his new life? Verse Again, the first part of verse 18. So that we may be, kind of, be a kind of first fruit of his creatures. In the Old Testament, when a person gave the first fruits of their harvest to God, it was the best of their harvest. Um, it was an expression of their love. So in God's economy, we're an expression of his love through faith in his son. And so James says, consider the goodness of God. God only gives good gifts. The goodness never changes. And the greatest gift of all is eternal life. So James's argument is, why would a Christian, why would a Christian ever want to fall into temptation when Christ has done so much for us? And he wouldn't. And still, it happens. It does. And so, how then do I prevent myself from falling prey to the lies of the enemy and especially the traitor that lives within myself? It's simply to fill yourself with the things of God. One person said, uh, fat fish don't take bait. And... Uh, Often, uh, Christians live defeated lives because they've become victims of their own lusts. So it isn't Satan's fault. It's not the world's fault. It's not our circumstances' fault. God has put before us a buffet of spiritual food in his Bible, in his word, for us to, 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 to feed off of and to grow and to, um, to, to use for our own uh, maturing. And so it's there for us. And the question is, do you read it? Do you spend time daily uh, uh, taking it in? Do you spend quality time in God's presence in prayer? So if you're filling yourself up with the things of God, then you won't want the, the, the tasteless pleasures of the world. Um, and so the, importance, uh, you, the important thing is that we spend time with God. 
and we spend time in his word, spend time with him. So we need to weigh the cost and take the take to heart the the great gifts that God gives us. <clears throat> so temptation may look good for a moment, but in its end it's always an empty promise. And that's it. May we find ourselves, um, may we find our satisfaction rather in the things of God rather than the desires and the fallen things of this world. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you. Father, we thank you that, Lord, you did. You gave us your word, Lord, and we can go through it. Lord, we have the opportunity, Lord, to be able to spend time with you, Lord, um, every day, Lord, in prayer and and, and just uh, reading your word, Lord, studying it, Lord, digesting it, Lord, absorbing it. And, um, Lord, through that, Lord, you, you've given us victory over um, our desires, Lord. And, um, Lord, we can defeat temptation. Lord, so I just thank you, Lord, that your word is so full of truth and, and um, examples. And, Lord, you didn't hold anything back. Lord, you allowed us, Lord, to, 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 to be able to um, use what you've given us, Lord, to have the victory. And... Uh, that you've given us, Lord, that you've, you've, you've desired for us, Lord, for you, to make us the first fruits and by giving us life and allowing us to, to know you. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, for each and every person here today, Lord, I just pray, Lord God, that um, you would just continue to bring us all face to face with you every day. Lord. And, and as we uh, go out into the world and we meet new people, Lord, that, uh, that we would just share, share your love, Lord, share what you've put in us and uh, pour ourselves out, Lord, for a, a lost and dying world. 